Good morning, everyone. Um, my name's Trevor, for those who don't know me. Uh, we've focused quite a lot this morning so far on names and naming. I'll tell you a bit about my name in a moment. Uh, I'm a teacher in Guernsey. I teach mathematics, and that will also come up in a moment. But first, I want to talk about nativity, because John has abused my views on the nativity <laughs> already this morning. It, it's true, I'm not a fan of DIY nativity, but, but I do want us to be clear on where that story comes from. So that the, the stories that combine to give us the nativity come from two of the Gospels, Luke's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel. And Matthew very much gives us Joseph's perspective and Joseph's story, whilst uh, Luke gives us Mary's perspective and Mary's story. So in Matthew, we have the angel appearing to Joseph. Then we have the Magi visiting from the east via Herod. And we have the story of the family fleeing to Egypt to avoid Herod's wrath. In Luke's gospel, on the other hand, we have the angel appearing to Mary. We have Mary's beautifully humble response to being told that she will give birth to God's son. We have Mary's visit to her cousin Elizabeth, who at that same time is pregnant with John the Baptist, who John spoke about last week. Uh, we have the census being called by the Roman emperor, the Roman emperor who thinks he's in charge and directing history, but is not. God is in charge and directing history. The journey to Bethlehem. Is a donkey mentioned in the... No, no. Don't need a donkey. And... Um, Oh, it's booked. Oh, well. Yeah. Drop the dead donkey. That was a, that's a news line, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you have the, in Luke's gospel, the no room in the inn, the angels, and the shepherds in the field abiding. And these stories come together and give us the very familiar nativity story. And that story can be so familiar to us from childhood through to adulthood that we can often hear them year on year and miss the details. We can hear them year on year, those stories, and miss the eternal truths that the gospel writers are putting in there for of us. And, and we can miss the deep significance of the, the words. So this morning, I want us to pause, perhaps before the, the busyness of next weekend, and to contemplate and think about just a few of the words in this passage from Matthew's Gospel. You've got it printed on the back of the service sheet, the notice sheet, so you can follow the reading there. So we're continuing to enjoy the season of Advent when we prepare, prepare for the celebration of the birth of Jesus 2,028 years ago. And as we prepare for his return with hope, with certainty, with expectancy... And we're just going to take a few of these words to dig a little deeper into their meaning, grasp their eternal significance, their majesty, and their mystery. So let me pray for us before we get into the passage. Father God, we do thank you for these words in this gospel, written down, preserved, translated, so that we too can feed on them this morning, here now. We ask that these words will live in our hearts and change us in our lives. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. And that's our focus this morning is names. Who is this Jesus? And we'll consider three aspects of what Matthew talks about in these few verses when we think about name and naming. Ancestry. Who is naming this child? And the name given to the child. Ancestry, naming, and name. Now, in my job, uh, I have the privilege of visiting lots of classrooms in school and seeing what's happening in those classrooms. Uh, a number of my colleagues are part of this church family. I get to see Karen and Duncan teaching mathematics, Lightning Lee running around his classroom. I get to see Gordon having a snooze at the front while the kids wire each other up to the mains. I was in an English lesson very recently, year eight English lesson, and they were studying Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And the teacher introduced a literary device that I was unaware of, the aptronym. The aptronym is when the name of a character relates to their personality or their profession. So obviously you've got Scrooge, Scrooge who is a miser and hard as flint. You've got Fezziwig, who sports a large Welsh wig. And Dickens also gives us, in other books, the austere headmaster, Gradgrind. And my favourite one, a teacher in Gradgrind's school called Umchokum Child. <laughs> uh, Dickens gave us the burglar, Toby Crackett, and the evil Mr. Murdstone. More recently, psychologists have come up with the idea of nominative determinism where someone's name might actually dictate a future direction. So Tom Kitchen, Tom Kitchen is a chef. Usain Bolt, I'm told, runs quite fast. The internet is full of such examples. You can get lost in searching for such things. The weather forecaster, Sarah Blizzard, for example. And my favourite, the urologists and authors of significant academic work on incontinence, A.J. Splatt and D. Weedon. <laughs> now, my name. My name is uh, Trevor. My father is John. His father was John. His father was John, I got Trevor. But my middle name is Ian, which is... It's not funny. <laughs> Ian is John. Ian is the Celtic John. So I do have John as my middle name. Um, Trevor, as Mo will know, is a, a large settlement. It's a Welsh name for a large settlement. Not as in Harry and the Mirror Group newspapers but as in a village, a large village. So I'm going to grow up to be a large village. Um, I'm married to Sarah, which means princess. And she can be. <laughs> and we have a son called Felix, which is the Latin for happy or lucky. And we do hope in, in this, this spirit of nominative determinism that he does, is and, and will be happy in his life. Now, Matthew, uh, the, the writer or to whom this first, apost uh, first gospel is ascribed, Matthew knew 
about the importance of names, very personal to him. His name was Levi, and he was a tax collector. And as you know, during the Roman occupation, tax collectors were somewhat despised. It was a profession that was very much, they were outcasts because they were taking money off people to fund the Roman occupation. They were working for the enemy, for the occupiers. Uh, they, were, they were not always um, legal in the way they went about this, as we understand it from historians. Sort of mafia-type behavior, gang-type behavior, and Levi was one of these despised tax collectors. But Jesus called him to a new life. Jesus called him to follow himself and gave him a new name, gave him the name Matthew, which means gift from God. So Matthew understood the power and the importance of a name. And in the opening chapter of his gospel, he uses names and naming to great effect. We have the angel appearing to Joseph in a dream and saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So just in that short passage, we're going to look at ancestry. We're going to look at naming and we're going to look at the name. So first, ancestry. Do you notice the angel starts with Joseph, son of David? We started at verse 18. Those of you who know Matthew's gospel will know that verses 1 to 17 of chapter 1 is a long list of names. It's a genealogy from Abraham through David all the way down to Joseph, who is the legal father of Jesus. This is important, the importance of family history. In the original Greek, the word translated son, son of David, isn't as in father and son, paternity, it's ancestry, it's line of David. Joseph, in the line of David, a descendant of King David. Why is that important here? It's important because of what God said to David a thousand years before Jesus was born. God said, recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when your days are over, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. We know that the Jews of Jesus' day were longing for the promised Messiah, someone to save them from the occupying Roman army. The promise of the Messiah. The Messiah, the Hebrew word for anointed one, and the Greek word with the same meaning is Christ. Messiah, Christ. Same word, two languages, the anointed one. Who were anointed? Kings were anointed. So Matthew is announcing in just those words, Joseph, son of David, Matthew is announcing through the angel's words in that dream that this child is in David's line is the Christ, the anointed one, and is the king who rules forever. That's the importance of the ancestry. What about naming? Our second thought, who is naming the child? Naming is a parental responsibility. Legally, Joseph is the father. And Matthew tells his readers, however, there's more to this than meets the eye. Because who is choosing this baby's name? 
God is choosing this baby's name. You are to call him Jesus. And there are echoes there, aren't there? If God is taking responsibility for naming the child, that's a parental responsibility, echoes back to what God said to David, I will be his father and he will be my son. So already in just a few words we've established he is the king who will reign forever and he is God's son. And then we come to the name. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew's very helpful in telling us the reason for the name, the aptronym, the nominative determinism. This child will grow up to save his people. Call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves, or God to the rescue. A popular name at the time. I'm told it's still a popular name, particularly with Mexican boxers. Don't know what that's got to do with anything. But the Jews under occupation were waiting to be saved from occupation. They were waiting for God to rescue them. But Matthew tells us that this name is far more significant than rescuing them from the Roman occupation. This child is going to rescue them from their sins, and that's far more significant, eternally significant. Our sins, we lie, we cheat, we gossip, we're greedy, we desire things that are not ours, we hate people, we value ourselves above others, we're proud, we're deceitful. Maybe none of us are as bad as we could be, but none of us are as good as we should be. Our purpose as human beings is to glorify God to glorify God in our work, to glorify God in our rest, in our leisure, to glorify God in our relationships, our marriages, our parenting, our neighbourhoods, our friends, our families. Our purpose is to glorify God, and yet we put more time and effort into glorifying ourselves. We've turned our backs on God, and we cannot rescue ourselves from this situation. We need to be rescued and God comes to the rescue. Our son Felix will not always live up to his name of being happy. He won't be happy all the time. But Jesus did live up to his name that he will rescue his people, God's rescuer. He went to the cross. He died there for us. He took the punishment we deserve. He brings us back to God. He saves us. He saves us from our sins. He saves us because we cannot save ourselves. That's what the name Jesus means. Do take time to ponder on that over this Christmas period. But Matthew gives us another name for this child, quoting from Isaiah 7. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And again, Matthew tells us the meaning of the name, which means God with us. Jesus, the name, specifies what he does. He saves. Emmanuel specifies who he is. He is God with us. 
God reveals himself in many ways. And even in this short passage, he reveals himself in the following ways. God speaks to us through history. That's the ancestry that we have in this passage. God speaks to us through dreams. God speaks to us through angels. God speaks to us through scripture. And now, God actually reveals himself in person. Jesus is God with us. So will you make time in the busyness of Christmas, next weekend, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, take time to ponder this majestic mystery that God himself, the creator God, who created the entire universe, all that we can see, all that we can't see, God who created, God who creates, God who sustains us, the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, omniscient God became a baby and was born of Mary, couldn't feed himself, couldn't look after himself, needed protection, a vulnerable, tiny baby. God became a baby. That that word, Emmanuel, God with us, we can gloss over it, we can miss it, we can see our grandchild in the nativity play with a doll putting it in a manger and it doesn't quite fit. We have a video of one of Felix's friends at nursery giving it a shove with her foot because it wouldn't fit in the manger. We We can see that, we can read about it, we can do it in the DIY nativity next week, we can sing about it this evening at the carol service, but do we stop and pause and ponder just how amazing that is that God himself was born as a baby? So I finish with a question. The question is, what do you celebrate this Christmas? Some look at Christianity and see it as perhaps a philosophy. So are you celebrating the birth of a new philosophy? Some think it's a moral teaching. Are you celebrating the birth of a new moral teaching? It's a religion. Are you celebrating the birth of a new religion? Well, None of those things are going to bring you back to God. None of those things are going to rescue you from your sin and none of those things are going to come back again and take you with him to glory. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The king who will reign forever, God's son, God with us, who will save us, our saviour Jesus Christ. Worship him, glorify him in all you do, in all you say, in all you think, every day, all week long, all year long, all life long, worship and glorify Jesus, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for the, the majesty of this mystery that you became flesh. We praise you and glorify you that we can celebrate this, this week and next weekend. We praise you and glorify that he will come again and rescue us and take us to be with you. 
We praise you and glorify you for his sacrifice on the cross, that he has rescued us already through his death in pain and humiliation. And his resurrection gives us that hope, that certainty, that expectancy, Father God, that he will come again. We praise you and we glorify you that you sent your rescuer and that we know him personally. Thank you, Father God, for Jesus. Amen.